Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole bennett Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Hi, Cara. Hi, Vanessa. We did a few weeks back, or a few months, who remembers, an episode called Middle School Romance. It was part of the Now What series. And we heard from a listener who said, love the Now What on Middle School Romance. I'm wondering if you could do a follow-up on High School Romance. And we thought that was... And we were like, yes, exclamation point. (laughs) Yes, please. And it is kind of two different beasts in some ways, and similar in other ways. So I think what we should do is maybe do like a quick recap on two seconds on what we did about middle school romance that will lay the groundwork for high school romance. That's so charming of you. Can you remember (laughs) what we said, Vanessa? I was just about to say, (laughs) can you remember what we said? Okay, what we said was, part of what we said was that... Middle school romance is sometimes just about the really delicious feelings of liking somebody else and not necessarily about going on dates or acting on it or being sexually involved with anyone or even maybe even touching anyone. It might just be about the wonderful feeling of liking someone and having that feeling reciprocated. 
Right. Or it might be about some early exploratory physical contact with another person, some kissing or, you know, touching. And that can be very appropriate too, especially as you get towards the end of middle school when kids are, you know, now 13, 14 years old. You know, there are kids in middle school who are turning 15. It's completely appropriate for those kids to have moved onto a different level of curiosity. And so we did talk a little bit about how to ask someone's permission and what to expect in terms of being asked permission for intimacy. So with that, See, we did up, remember. We did remember. <laughs> it's a, it's a Christmas miracle, Vanessa. <laughs> so, right. So with that, and I will say there's something about eighth grade, particularly now that eighth graders are older than they were when we were in eighth grade. There is something about eighth grade where it really is a bridge between middle school and high school. And also because you have, you know, now 14 year olds in eighth grade, you have kids who might be very much through puberty, if not all the way through puberty. And it's also a bridge in kind of sexual exploration and socializing in a way that things that you couldn't have imagined them doing in seventh grade, like going to mixed gender hangout parties on a Saturday night, all of a sudden by spring of eighth grade, they are very much doing that. And if anyone can remember what they were doing, you know, the spring of eighth grade or the fall of ninth grade, where you were hanging out with people who you might have romantic interests with, there were things like fill in the blank, Cara. Spin the bottle, seven minutes in heaven, all those games that happened in a coat closet. Truth or dare, I would never, or have you ever, or would you ever, I can't remember what it's called. (laughs) And then of course, there's the layer of devices and, you know, all of the culture of swapping nude images, which we've talked about on this podcast before and is not relegated at all just to tweens and teens, but is very much something that is done in the adult world as well. And so there's that layer that adds to all this. So there's a lot that is happening. And then, and then you get catapulted into high school. High school, which is often a much bigger environment, not for everyone. Some kids go to very small high schools. Some kids move from a big middle school to a smaller high school, but the more typical transition is going from a smaller grouping to a larger grouping, or at the very least, the way the classes are taught and the way the shuffling happens between classes and the teacher's expectations and all of the adults around, coaches and everyone, that everything antes up, whether the size is bigger or not, everything antes up. And there is this expectation, Vanessa, that when you are in high school, not only do you have knowledge about certain things that you may not have knowledge about, but you have interest in certain things, that your hormones are not just there, they're raging. And there is a stereotype that goes along with the classic high schooler that is, you know, I mean, look, it's it's not for no reason that that stereotype exists, but I don't think it is fair for us to think of a group of kids in this country. It's about 16 million kids who are in high school at any given time. That group as a whole does not have, you know, as 100% of the individuals making that up, raging hormones and raging sexual desires. And yet some number of them really do have much, much, much more physical desire 
than they ever had before. So there's all that. I think it's important to make the distinction. People, you know, we grew up on a heavy diet of John Hughes movies and, you know, all sorts of rom-coms, high school rom-coms, where it was like all of a sudden you go to high school and everything changes and your world changes and you're like going to raging parties every weekend and you want to, or you are having sex with people, you know, every weekend. And I think we... (laughs) We do kids a disservice by presenting to them that as the one option either to fear or embrace for high school and to have the expectation as adults that that is what's going to happen because really the experience is much more of a sort of a steady climb towards more and more complex and sophisticated and sexual experiences rather than a dive into the deep end of a pool of high school sexuality. And high school freshmen, as my mother used to say, my oldest brother spent all of freshman fall playing poker with a group of six other boys because as my mother likes to say, freshman boys are the lowest of the low in terms of the social strata of high school. And so, you know, they weren't invited anywhere. And so they formed their own cohort and they were, you know, playing poker. But also they might not have been ready to go anywhere. They might not have been interested, you know, in going anywhere. I think we have to remove the assumption that every kid wants to be doing all this or every kid is going to have the opportunity to do all of it and just sort of see it as more of a a slope, not a dive. Just to touch back on the John Hughes reference, I like my top five movies were all John Hughes movies growing up. It is an amazing thing to go back for those listeners who grew up on that sort of stream of films, go back and take a look at them. They are really, um, while they hold up in certain ways, they are a 100% cancelable in other ways, simply insofar as the way that they present information and certain themes. Just a side note, it's really interesting to look through that old lens and sort of see what, what was suggested to us as this idyllic or not idyllic, I mean, pretty in pink, not idyllic, but with that sort of archetype that was put on a screen for us. And now to go back and go, oh my gosh, you know, the way these characters treated each other, the things they said, or, you know, there was like every wrong that we talk about in social justice conversations, you can see some thread in some John Hughes movie. I mean, so, but this is not to say that they're totally negated because they were a very big part of many of our upbringings. They really did set the stage for what it meant to achieve popularity Mm. or social inclusion or sort of what party life was going to look like. And today, those narratives look really different. Just to illustrate that, a study in 2017 from the CDC indicates that by the age of 18, the number of kids in American high schools the percentage of kids who've had sex is just a little more than 50%. 55% of 18-year-old American high school students say that they have had sexual intercourse. Now, if you've listened to some of our other stuff, the definition of sexual intercourse in this case is implied is vaginal intercourse, penis and the vagina intercourse. But that's also like the way the society sort of generalizes about sex. So for those people who assume all kids lose their virginity in high school, 
those rates are actually declining according to government studies. And at this point are just a little bit over half of U.S. high school students. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think what you're trying to illustrate and doing a very nice job of it is that going to the question of talk about high school romance, high school is four long years. That study looks at seniors, people in their last year of high school, and half of them are telling a random stranger who is asking them. That's a whole other thing with that study. But they're telling this person, yes, I've had this type of sex. What that means is the vast, vast, vast majority of kids in ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade combined are not running around having sex all the time. That aside, there's, and we talk about this all the time on this podcast, there is a, as you said, a slope. There's this big on-ramp between sexual curiosity and sexual intercourse. And it involves all these different steps and stages of emotional and physical exploration. And so how do parents and the adults raising kids in high school manage all of that, especially because the John Hughes model doesn't exist anymore and because that's not a culturally sensitive or thoughtful way of presenting any sort of ideal. It's not just that the ideal doesn't exist, it's that the way that the information is presented shouldn't exist anymore. So what do we tell parents who have sexually curious, i.e. almost all kids at some point in high school become sexually curious in some way, how do we advise those adults to start having conversations with and start taking action with their kids? And I, I'm going to begin the answer to my own question because I had such an interesting conversation with a friend of mine recently who was describing having a child who's recently started dating. And this friend of mine, she was incredible. She talked about how she thought she would be when her kids were in high school and how she might feel about them starting to have romance and starting to have sexual relationships. And then as it was happening, realizing who she really is and giving herself permission to realize that she's not who she thought she was going to be. She, in her own words, turns out to be a little bit more conservative about being comfortable with her kid, being behind closed doors in their bedroom with another kid. And we were talking about what what does that feel like to recognize that you're not the parent you thought you were going to be in that scenario? And then how do you talk to your kid about it? Because maybe your kid has the same values that you do and the same ideas, but maybe they don't. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to that question of values. When we think about our episode with Shafia Zaloom, where she encouraged listeners to think about what are the values in your family? What are your goals ultimately for your kid? How do you help them understand what their own values are? And also what composes a healthy, loving relationship? That's to me where I think it's important to start. It's actually, it's not at all to me about the sex. Are they going to have sex? Are they not going to have sex? It's about them learning how to have meaningful sometimes deeply intense, sometimes deeply painful, sometimes incredibly exciting relationships with another human being. And that is a little bit about sex and is somewhat about physicality, but it's also about respect and consent and communication and self-expression and self-awareness and self-advocacy and honesty. I mean, there are so many life-critical skills that go into 
a high school romance that then kids can carry with them throughout their lives. And so I kind of want to break that down and think about how are high school relationships similar? Like what are the universals of a high school love, heartbreak, all of that stuff? And what things are new in this generation that adults have to think about when kind of drilling down on those conversations, right? You mentioned social media, you mentioned technology. I mean, a lot of kids have very meaningful, loving relationships, a lot of which take place over FaceTime. I think the consistent themes that we don't really need to spend a lot of time with because everyone who's listening can rattle these off as well. I mean, right, there's the feeling of love, there's crush, there's lust, right? These emotions that we remember and recall from our high school years still exist. They may look a little bit different in a child because that person's not you. They're right there. Their emotional repertoire is different from yours. Their lived experience is different from yours. But those themes of having feeling connected with someone, feeling attracted to someone, feeling both of those things, which is really, I think the the goal for most people is you want to feel both connected and attracted. And that's what kids figure out over time. That's what adults figure out over time. So those themes have never changed. And of course, they've never changed. Like you go back 300 years and look at classic literature, it's the same themes, right? It's, this is part of the human experience. But the the trappings certainly have changed, as you were just describing. And because the trappings have changed, the expression of these themes, I think, has changed a little bit. And you started off, Vanessa, with such an important point, which is, We're so quick to demonize that everything's moving faster in this world. So too is sex. It is not. Now, that data is questionable and it's questionable because what it doesn't describe are all the things that lead up to vaginal intercourse and it doesn't describe intercourse other than vaginal intercourse, right? As Amy Lang said, if it has the last name sex, it's sex. So 100%. Oral sex, anal sex sex with yourself, you know, all of that stuff is still a sexual expression. And the CDC did not do the best job of teasing that apart and there are reasons why. But do you want to just dive into, given the the new trappings, some pieces of advice that we have for this listener and also for other people who undoubtedly have similar questions. Given the shifts in the world, how can adults help their teens manage new relationships or situationships as we know that they should all really be called. Right. So (laughs) the first thing is, I find often parents fall into two camps. One is assuming that things are going super fast. (laughs) And the other is assuming that it's never their kid and their kid would never insert, you know, have sex or do anything privately behind their backs or send naked photos. And Essentially, the most important lesson in caring for adolescents is you can never use the word never. Like you can, you will get burned. You can, you will just be wrong. Um, And so my kid would never has to be erased from all of our vocabularies when we think about this. So that's number one. Don't fall into the trap of assuming they're, you know, way spread up and don't fall into the trap of assuming your kid will be the last one. And because of that, It means starting to have conversations that our kids most likely are not going to bring up themselves. 
So some of those conversations are about the social emotional aspects of being in a caring, loving relationship of some sort, even if they're not calling it a boyfriend, girlfriend, 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 boyfriend, boyfriend, whatever you want to call it. So part of it are those conversations and part of it are the logistical, tactical conversations about sex. And about relationships. So you don't even have to be about sex. If someone goes out on a date with someone else and they're in high school, okay? Gender plays no role here, by the way. If someone goes out on a date with someone else and they have a good time, it is really helpful to that kid to hear from an adult, hey, if you had a really nice time, you should reconnect with that person. Did you happen to text them or send them a little note or do whatever? Because they might like to hear back from you. Really? That is a real news alert for many kids. They had a great time. In their head, they had a great time. They don't necessarily know about the follow-up. So little things like that. But I'm going to throw a wrench in that. Because for those who listened to our episode with our interns about hookup culture, it became very clear that the origin of a bunch of adolescent relationships, actually, they start physical and then morph into more of an emotionally connected relationship. And therefore, very often, we as adults don't know that they have hooked up with someone or been intimate with someone or made out with someone and they maybe have feelings for that person. So things are already in process by the time we have any awareness. And it's hard to give guidance about, you can't be like, oh, well, if you hooked up with someone, you can text them that you had a really nice time. Now you can say, hey, you know, I think you're hanging out with someone and I just want to make sure that like, you're doing stuff that you want to do with that person and that person is doing stuff with you that they want to be doing. And like, how are you figuring that out? How are you having those conversations with each other? I love that because you have not judged the kid at all for making the choices they've made. There is another version of that, that depending upon what the relationship is like and what the kid is like, you could say, you know, Are you sure this is what you want and this is what's making you happy? But are you sure already suggests that you, the adult, are pretty sure this is not the right way in? And so for many kids, that shuts down the communication. Mm -hmm. So I like the way that you did it. But there's there are really two groups of kids. There is a group of kids, and by the way, the size of these groups will vary in different communities at different schools, right? So one group of kids is in sort of more of an emotional relationship before they're interested in experimenting physically. And the other group of kids, it's reverse. They're experimenting physically a little bit more. They're experimenting physically sooner than they're experimenting emotionally. And for the kid who's experimenting physically first, that can be really hard for a parent because you're right. Those kids typically are not forthcoming with their parents. They do think they're going to be shamed. Even if they have really open, accepting parents who talk about everything with them, they still, they tell us, the teenagers and 20-somethings tell us they feel a little judged by the adults around them. So it is a conversation they will have with their friends. Therefore, another way in is to teach your kid how to be a good friend to their friends who are hooking up because it is a backdoor for you to have a secondary conversation with your kid if your kid is in that type of dynamic. But you make it, it's like Marsha Brady, right? You make it about a friend and you don't make it about your child. 
Yeah. I mean, so that might sound something like, hey, I'm wondering if, you know, people in your grade are starting to date each other or if it's more of like people are kind of hooking up at parties, but not dating. Or I'm wondering, you know, if you know your kid has friends and relationships, you could say something like, I'm wondering if you noticed what you like about your friends' relationships or what you find interesting or what you find troubling, right? I was, sometimes kids have said to us like, oh, I don't like this aspect of my friends' relationships. Or this is something kids talk a lot about. And we have this on the puberty portal. My friend is in an unhealthy relationship. And we will be doing an episode on unhealthy adolescent relationships in the new year. But that is also a concern and helping kids build the muscle of what they see as not a healthy dynamic in relationships is a really important skill to help them build. And for the kids who are taking the more old school approach and building the emotional connection before the sexual connection, which is only old school insofar as that's how it was talked about in the olden days. It doesn't mean it's how it really happened, but it was the order in which it was discussed. For those kids who are doing things in that order, supporting them by helping them to figure out how to navigate their feelings the other person's feelings, you know, staying connected with the other person, asking questions about how they're doing, checking in, but not being voyeuristic. And that might sound like, hey, I don't need all the details. I just want to check in. Did you have a nice time last night? Have you been texting today? You know, how are you feeling about things? That is at the very least, if you have a monosyllabic child in your life who gives a grunt or a groan as an answer, at least they know you care and you're giving them these little tips along the way to help them better navigate a dynamic so that they can be sensitive to the emotional needs of themselves and of the other person in the dynamic. And sometimes parents get too invested in their kids' romantic relationships because it's very exciting when your child is in love or it's very exciting when your child is showing these grown-up skills of being in a relationship and being a caring person and buying someone else a birthday present or a Christmas present or going on special dates and all that. And it's very wonderful, except their relationships are not our relationships. And so while we can be loving and supportive and caring about them having a relationship and be a resource to them, we also need to not project on these relationships. We need to let their relationships run their course, like maybe even break up without our kids feeling pressure that we're invested in their relationship and therefore they should stay in that relationship. I think it's really, I hear so many parents who are like, you know, well, I think this is the one and their kid's like a sophomore in high school. And I'm like, no, I can almost decidedly tell you this is not the one, even though it would make you feel great if your kid was done and settled. But you know what? On the other hand, for that child, it might feel like, This is the one. Do you remember? Do you remember that feeling when you were so young and you're like, I'm going to marry this person? And And my parents were like, no, it's not. And then you, (laughs) and when your parents said that, even though it was important for them to voice, right? You looked at your parents and thought, you don't understand me. You don't know anything that goes on in my emotional life. Now, what am I going to do? 
I'm not going to share these feelings with you because you're negating how I feel. So it's a very fine line. The biggest mistake we all, everyone knows this. I'm not saying anything every single listener doesn't know, but the biggest mistake we can make in life with respect to kids or peers or frankly, single parents, like doesn't matter who it is. If they're in a relationship and the relationship is ending and you demonize the other person because you're trying to be on the side of the person who you love and care about, that always comes back to bite you, right? Yeah, I never liked that kid. (laughs) Not a sentence to utter. Guarantee that they're going to get back together within Within hours. Yeah, no, 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 hours, hours, yeah. So, yeah, so it's very important. It's just like, almost everything else where we kind of have to keep our opinions to ourselves unless we see something worrying, troubling, or concerning. And then even if it might piss our kids off, it's our responsibility to say something because we're keeping them healthy and safe. If you listen to enough of our episodes, you'll hear us preach the importance of air, particularly down there. Airing out body parts reduces sweatiness, stinkiness, and skin irritation. And it feels amazing to air it all out after a long day in tight, sweaty clothes. Which is why we created the Oom Short. Super soft, lightweight, with wide legs and a low crotch. All help air flow. Designed for all genders, in all sizes, literally down to kids extra small and up to men's extra large. Everyone who wears them tells us they've never been so comfy. Get your shorts at myoomla.com. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and Out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box, And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky. And I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. (laughs) And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, 
Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie Horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. Okay, so let's land on that point. Because this is actually a really important thing to highlight in the context of high school relationships. There's unsafe or unsettling, and then there's unsafe and unsettling. And what I mean by that is, if a child that you know is involved in an abusive relationship of any sort, physical, sexual, verbal, if the dynamic has power in it, if one participant is clearly the victim playing the role of it, you do need to step in and help run interference. And it very often requires help from a professional because depending upon your role, but chances are if you're in the parent role, it won't necessarily land when you come in and try to swoop that child out of that dangerous situation. So school counselor, therapist, doctor, this is not one for your best friend to come in and help you. This is one for a professional to come in. That's on one end of the spectrum. The milder version of that is what you as the adult perceive to be not okay because you think the kid is not ready versus what the kid perceives. So this is not a kid who's in any dynamic that is physically or emotionally dangerous. It is a kid who is in a dynamic that you think they are not mature enough to handle. And that's a more complicated scenario because you may very well be right 
that they're not ready. But there is a point at which you telling that child that they are not ready is simply going to push them away and straight into the arms of the person. And Vanessa is like nodding, 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 go. Well, I mean, so that's the kind of conversation where you simply have to provide them with information in as judgment-free a way as you possibly can, even if your heart is in your throat, and give them something to take on their journey. Because if you know your kid, and if you know that you say to your kid, don't do this, this is a bad idea, or I forbid you, or I I don't like this kid, they're not good for you, whatever you want to say, that's going to send them in the other direction. But what you can say is, hey, I've noticed that you seem different recently. I've noticed that you're a little bit quieter and a little bit withdrawn. And I'm wondering if your relationship with so-and-so is feeding you the way you need to be fed. Right. So that's like if you're not crazy about the dynamic in a kid's relationship, or it may sound something like, I don't know where you are in your physical relationship with your, you know, significant other. I wouldn't use significant other with a high school kid. And they don't use girlfriend or boyfriend all that readily. Some kids. So some do. So if you feel like you can use it, use their first name with so and so, you know, that's so and so. And I just like, it's my job to make sure that you know that if you guys are deciding to be physically involved, that here are the things you need to do to be safe. If you're going to have vaginal intercourse, if you're going to have anal sex, if you're going to have oral sex. And that, Cara, I just want to touch on one point, which we get into in our book, but we don't often get into as specifically on the podcast because we haven't done an episode devoted to sexual orientation But one of the most important things about kids this age is do not assume you know what their sexual orientation is and maybe even what their gender identity is. It is a very fluid period of time where kids are trying on all sorts of identities. And if we make assumptions, A, we close the door to them being open and honest with us. B, we may make them feel ashamed without meaning to, right? If you have a daughter and you say, oh, do you have any boyfriends right now? And she may be very interested in another girl in her class. She may feel like, oh, my parents are really against that. I can't talk to them about it. So don't assume you know. Don't assume that you can lock them into one orientation or another. There's a lot of experimentation and fluidity in today's high school students. And it's actually pretty easy to have conversations with kids about this stuff by just ungendering the conversation, using a name, using gender neutral pronouns, asking general questions without making gendered assumptions. In fact, what you will find is the more you do that, the more that your kids' friends will bring their conversations to your table. The more inclusive you are about how you approach your own kid, the more you will hear from a friend, hey, you know, can I just ask you a question? What do you think of this? Or Because they know there's no judgment because your kid will have explained that to their peers. It will come through in some way, shape or form. And that's a whole different episode, which is what does one adult do with information given to them by usually a teenager? Sometimes it's younger kids, but usually a teenager that they really think the parent of that kid should know, not has to know, that's easy, should know because it would help the dynamic, but the the kid has trusted you and has not trusted their own parent. And so I promise the more inclusive you are with your language and your thinking, 
not only the more will the kid in your life talk to you, but the more other kids, adjacent kids will start talking. And that's a, that's a separate issue. And by no means do I want to imply that these are easy conversations to have, that these are simple conversations to have, that you will feel entirely authentic when using gender neutral pronouns or asking questions in a more general and non-gendered way, or when you're having conversations with your kid about how they need to prepare to have healthy sex with someone else, or, you know, if you think your kid's significant other is kind of a dud, but you are not going to say that because you don't want to drive them away. This is really, really hard stuff, but it does get easier and it does make kids more willing to come to us if we can try to keep the judgment at bay, if we can be loving, supportive, and open-minded, if we can avoid being accusatory and shaming. And I just want to hit one last point before we close which is that kids these days use technology for their relationships in a way that we didn't before, that many of us still don't. And if we demonize the use of technology, and I don't mean like sending nudes, kids should not be sending nudes, full stop. It is illegal if they're under 18 and it is a very risky thing to do at any age because it can be used as cars you've talked about before for revenge and other really frightening things. However, they do spend hours FaceTiming or they do spend hours Snapchatting or texting and that feels intimate to them and that feels meaningful and exciting. And if we demonize their means of connecting and communicating with people they care about, then again, we are closing the door to understanding the way our kids feel connected to other people. And that is a big mistake to do. I'm going to end by connecting this to the episode that we launched earlier in the week, which was a conversation with Dr. Becky, who wrote a book called Good Inside and has her own podcast. And one of the sort of truisms that she calls out over and over again in her book in particular is this concept of holding two separate things to be true simultaneously. And when it comes to helping kids who are in high school and in relationships, whether they're straight up sexual or they have an emotional component, it often helps if we hold two things to be true, which is how we as adults feel about those relationships. And we're allowed to share that with our kids. That's okay. But we have to hold that on on one side. And on the other side, what we have to hold is the truth of our kids' experiences. And if we can take this idea of holding two things as true, and we can apply it to this exact conversation, it goes a long way. It is exactly what you're talking about, Vanessa, in terms of gender neutrality and a neutral approach to sexual orientation Two things can be true. You can have whatever feeling you have as an adult with your life experiences, and you can honor what that child is saying that they feel at this moment. I love the concept that she introduced, and I kind of think it's fitting to wind up this episode tethering back to that one. And two things can be true. You can be uncomfortable with the idea of your kid being in a relationship and you can love and support them as they navigate 
this path because I promise you, your kid will have healthier relationships in adulthood if they practiced connecting with other people in these years. And it's hard to be on the sidelines and we're not going to get it right all the time. But being an open door for our kids, supporting them, encouraging them to connect with other people in the ways that feel comfortable to them are all laying the foundation for them to build healthy adult relationships down the road. Vanessa, two things can be true. This was a really interesting conversation and we've talked for way too long. <laughs> so, <laughs> Always. That, that's always. <laughs> always one truth in the two things can be true when you and I are talking. Thanks, Cara. Thanks, Vanessa. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at The Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.